Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Because, uh, as you can see uh, in that next slide, uh, that uh, it's it's approved because God uh, calls us to be solid for Him. And what I mean by solid, not to be kind of uh, half-baked Christians, but He wants us to be on fire for Him, Uh, either to follow Him or not to follow him. Because if we're mediocre, it says in the book of Revelation, it's as if we're making him sick and he'll spit us out of his mouth. And so being a Christian, being a child of God, being part of the kingdom of God is not just kind of something that, well, you know what, I'm in a difficult situation. But it's looking at Christ in the middle of that situation and knowing that he's got it under control. And so I've called it approved um, from uh, the Greek word dokimos, where a, a potter would take a pot and, and mold it and make it, and then put it into the fire to bake it. And then when the potter takes the pot out of the fire, they would hold it up in, in, in the sun's view and see if there are any cracks. So to turn it around to see if there are any cracks. Because if you were, uh, wanted to put water in that pot, it would not contain the water if it did have a crack. And so it needed to, to be broken and put back into the fire and remolded again. And so what we're saying is that when you are full of cracks, we can come to Christ. But to, to live a life pleasing to God, uh, to, to know that He's got our back, and as He holds us up and He turns us around, uh, it's as if we are approved of him. And so they would, they would put a stick on it saying approved. If it were, or dokimos, approved. And so it was for good use then. But if it was not, then it would be adokimos, unapproved. And so in this book of James, over February, March, and April, except the, the two Easter services, we're going to be looking at uh, every single verse in this book. And so we'll, we'll do some themes over every single verse, uh, and we'll cover this whole book over the next three months. A couple of points uh, about the book of James, just to put you in context. The author is James. The date and place of writing was probably in Jerusalem uh, between uh, 48 and 50 Common Era, uh, also known as AD. Uh, and so uh, James is writing to Christians uh, who were going through persecution, but also warning them of imminent persecution, imminent trials and tribulations that will come their way because of their faith. And and so to to stand firm in the midst of those difficulties. And I think it's very relevant for you and I today in February 2023, and it'll be very relevant in March and April 2023, and all the way until we leave this earth, because we will go through situations in our lives that James addresses. And so it's very relevant. Uh, It's been relevant in the past, certainly relevant uh, for us today, and will be relevant in the future. 
And what, what James says doesn't contradict what Paul says, because Paul says it's all about faith, that we're saved because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But the outworking of that faith is what James is talking about. And so Paul would say, your faith in Christ leads you to good works. And that's not contradictory to what James is saying, because James is saying, your good works are evidence of your faith in Christ. So they actually complement one another. And so he addresses some sub-themes in this book, things like trials and temptations. And you'll see that they are not singular words. I wish they were singular, but they are plural, because we will go through trials and tribulations in our lives, many of them. And that is a guarantee. And so he addresses trials and tribulations. He also addresses relationships between the rich and the poor. And folk, if you don't think that that's real, it's very real in this day and age. Your looks, the car that you drive, your bank balance, the way you dress. We look down on others that are not the same as us. And so uh, James addresses that. He addresses faith and works. And so you can say that you love the Lord Jesus Christ all day long, but if there's no fruit of the Spirit, James would actually rebuke you. And so a, a fantastic a book that addresses faith and works. He speaks about the tongue, something so small, and he compares it to uh, the damage it can make or the good it can do. And then uh, patience and prayer. So this morning I want to start off by talking uh, about faith under pressure. Faith under pressure. And uh, if you think you've had a hard day, I want to read you a story about this gentleman uh, who's had a really hard day. Uh, and you'll see his picture in the next slide. And so it's about a man who's had a, a, a really hard day. Uh, just um, that picture of the man there, Aaron, that, uh, at the bottom, maybe one more. And a one more. There we go. And so the story is, is about this man who's, who's had a really hard time. And he says, I'm writing in response to a request for additional information. In block number three of the accident reporting form, I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more fully, and I trust that the following details will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a 10-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Rather than carry them down by hand, I decided to lower them to the ground in a barrel by using a pulley. Uh, so a pulley is kind of the, one of those winches with a rope. Unfortunately, it was attached to the side of the building at the 10th floor. Securing the rope at the ground level, I went to the roof, loaded the 500 pounds of bricks, then went back down to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in block 11 of the accident reporting form that I weigh 135 pounds. And so for morons with reference to pulleys and things like, that, like me, it's 500 pounds of bricks versus 135 pounds of this man. And so something is going to go wrong. 
And so, due to my surprise at being jerked off the, the ground suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate by the side of the building. In the vicinity of the fifth floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of the bricks hit the ground at the bottom, fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 30 pounds. I refer again to my weight in block number 11 of the accident reporting form. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the fifth floor, I met the barrel coming up again. This accounts for the two fractured ankles and lacerations on my legs and lower body. The second encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks. And fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain and unable to stand, watching the empty barrel ten stories above me, I again lost my presence of mind. I let go of the rope. <laughs> if you think you're having a hard time, think about that chap. Well, faith under pressure. James chapter 1, verses 1 to 12 James chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. James writes and he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You want to stop there. You go, what was this guy on about when he wrote this? Consider it a joy when trials come your way. But it begins to develop, develop this thought because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Faith under pressure. I wonder if you're sitting here this morning and you feel that the fire is upon you. That the fire is upon you. And yes, that illustration about the man with the bricks is a bit of a funny. But you might be sitting here this morning, it's the start of the new year, and you go, well, you know what? Uh, I feel like I'm in the fire. 
And so you feel as if trouble has come your way. My first chapel service when I was a student in 1989 at Rosebank Bible College was life is difficult. Just finished two years in the army and I thought that was difficult. And then my first year at Bible College, first day, first chapel service, the preacher spoke about life being difficult. I'd rather go back home and just do nothing. The good thing is, the second one was that God's grace is indispensable. Being a young Greek man, I didn't know what that word meant. But it means it's absolutely necessary. Absolutely necessary. So when life is difficult, God's grace is absolutely necessary. And so during those troubles that will all come our way, guaranteed, God is with us. And none of us are exempt of these troubles. In real life, we have plenty of problems. Maybe not all the time facing us, but as we turn on the news, you hear about heat waves, you hear about cold fronts, you hear about car accidents, you hear about sharks attacking people, you hear about murders and fraud, and crazy things happen all the time. And so if you think about it, you say, well, that's the devil trying to attack us. Well, friends, if that's your view, then it, it is maybe that the devil attacks you to try and make you fall. But let me give you another view of this, that maybe it's God allowing us to go through this so we can grow. And so how do we handle that? Why would God ever want to turn the heat up? Because that word trial that James uses is the Greek word pirasmi. And sadly, it's plural. And where we get the English word pyro, like a pyromaniac, is somebody who's addicted to fire. And so pirasmi, plural, the fires are turned on. Consider it a joy when you will be faced with a trial that will... Uh, turn you uh, into uh, something that will become weak, if you like. Is there any joy in all of that when life is difficult? Is there any joy that, that uh, these different circumstances that come across our way can make us better? The loss of a job, or perhaps a, a broken relationship, or, or difficulties at work, or this lingering illness that does not want to go away of a family member or uh, ourselves. This, this depression that comes upon us like a dark night that doesn't want to lift. Or this wayward child that will not come near the presence of God. Or perhaps abusive parents that just don't uh, care. Can that ever change, you ask, as you sit here this morning? Can anybody help us uh, with dealing with these difficulties? Uh, as we feel life closing on us and life gets more and more difficult, is there any light at the end of the tunnel? And if there is, it feels like an oncoming train about to knock us into oblivion. And so James writes to people going through difficulties. And I know as we sit here this morning, 
that we will all go through difficulties if not being in the midst of a difficulty right now. And as we go through those difficulties, is there any hope? Is there any way out? Because we should actually just pack our bags and go home. But what James does in a very amazing way is say, listen, that difficulty can go away. But until it does go away, God is with us in the midst of it. And it's an unusual way of thinking about it. And so rather than consoling them on how to get rid of this problem, he challenges them. And he says, rethink what you're going through because God is with us in the midst of it. And he's saying, rather than, than, than asking why, 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 God, rather say, what are you saying in all of this, God? Despite the difficulty of saying why. Despite life being difficult. And so, he's saying in verse 2, that whenever you face trials, not if you face trials, that life will be difficult. And so, how do you deal with some of these difficulties? The questions we ask ourselves, how can I change the way I respond to these hard times? And can I begin to respond in such a way that will enable me to face these hard times with joy? And that word joy there is the same root word for grace. The devil does not give grace. God gives grace. The word chari or charis in the Greek, the word grace, is a uniquely Christian word. There is no other religion that gives grace. Only God, through Jesus Christ, gives grace. And so in, in this he's saying, listen, God is in the midst of this. Consider it his grace that you're going through a difficulty and he wants to help you to grow in all of this. And so let me try and give you a, a couple of pointers, uh, way forward, to, to try and uh, help us in this whole process. I think firstly... We need to ask the question, can there be any good purpose for hard times? Can there be any good purpose for hard times? And as you reflect in the midst of that hard time, you might say, well, God's not there. God's not there. But friends, if there's one guarantee on this earth, is that God has not abandoned us. Even if we've been rebellious and pushed against him and done all the, the crazy things that, that uh, didn't believe in him and were rebellious and did the worst things in the world, one thing he promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's in, with us in the midst of that. He's not abandoned us. And he is at work for the good there are two Greek words for good. The one is kalos, which means aesthetically good, beautiful, pretty. <laughs> but the other one is agathos, God good. He is busy working in our lives to make us God good. To set us up for success, not for failure. And so whatever is happening in that trial, our faith is being tested. It's as if that heat is being turned up. Read in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Again, that Greek word pirasmi, plural trials. That, that God is busy proving you. 
He's busy uh, refining you. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And so God is busy refining us like that gold in the fire. For what reason? To make us like him. To make us like him. And so we're called to to reflect the image of God. And so there are times that that God will come into our lives that that he he will want to teach us patience. Patience, uh, macrosimia is is the word there, patience. Macro, big, thinking. As we remember and reflect on who God is, he's with us and he wants us to be patient in this. But there's another word that's used as well, and that's the one that James uses. It's the word perseverance. Ipomeno. To come, ipo, under, and to remain. And so James is not talking about patience. That's the nice part of it. But to remain under, ipomeno. To remain under, because as we remain under, we begin to realize who God is, and we come out stronger. Because I respect you too much, I won't sing you the song, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger. Remember that song? If you don't know it, I'll sing it to you. You remember it quickly now, don't you? <laughs> and what does he say? He says that, that as we remain under, it gives us hope. And that word hope uh, is a certain assurance that God is at work. And so while he's busy molding us and making us, he wants us to stand strong, to turn our face toward Jesus Christ and say, God, help me. Help me, please. Who else can we turn to, folk? When you're in the bottom of the valley, who else can we turn to except God? When there are people in hospital with pipes all over the place, who else can they turn to? God. Even the atheist will call for somebody out there. Is there any purpose? Well, God might want to humble us and bring us to our knees so we can turn to him. Faith under pressure. And what's that purpose? Well, to mature us. To mature us so we become stronger and stronger. Because in verse 4, it talks about being mature and complete, not lacking anything. And that word uh, complete is the Greek word for perfect. Telios, which means fully grown and mature, wanting nothing. Fully grown and mature, wanting nothing. And as we stand strong in these difficult times, what is God saying to us? Because God has a purpose for your life and for my life. And that purpose is to give us a hope and a future. It's not to destroy us. It's not to wipe us out. But it's to give us a hope that gives us strength to be able to, to face trials and tribulations. And so during those difficult times, the first thing we need to do is ask for wisdom in those tough times. Ask for wisdom in those tough times. In verse 5, we read that trust in the Lord in the midst of the trial. Why? So that when those difficulties come, we can ask for wisdom. 
And he says, ask for wisdom. Why? Because God gives us wisdom. And what's the wisdom, folk? It might be something extremely profound so we can face the difficulty. In the midst of it, we might not see it. But as we go to God, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. It's like the mist begins to lift. But as we intentionally come to God, as we ask Him, as we seek Him, we'll find Him. As we knock on His door, He will open the door. And you know the word seek means seek in order to find. So James says if anybody lacks wisdom, ask God and he will give it to us. And so we're called. It's a call of faith. And as we have this call uh, of faith, it's not to be uh, independent We live in a Western society, you've got to be uh, each one to his own. You've got to be individual, and uh, you've got to be stand strong and stand alone. No. Not from a biblical perspective. Not from a biblical perspective. Wisdom actually says, I need others just as others need me. And wisdom actually says, uh, you know, it's more than knowledge. Knowledge is what we get at university. At school, that's knowledge. Wisdom is to be able to turn that knowledge into wisdom in the real world. That piece of paper on the wall with a degree and a stamp on it looks good. But that's knowledge. Wisdom comes when you put that knowledge into practice. That's hard work. Comes with time. Sometimes it's a tough lesson to learn. To actually say, I need other people around me. I need other people around me. So James, in verse 6, says, listen, you know, uh, as as you ask for wisdom, uh, you you begin to to see a a clearer picture. A clearer picture. Why? Because you're not going to be like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. In other words, instable. Uh, And that that word there, like, um, uh, you know, something that that is unstable and and double-minded and separated. No, you've got your senses together. And as you have your senses together, uh, it makes absolute uh, sense in the presence of God. Why? Because God is in it together. What he's saying is that uh, as, as a child comes to a parent, so we begin to understand things in context. And as we turn to God, that makes sense. And he says, even, you know, uh, we, we look at, uh, at a situation from God's perspective. That's wisdom. Looking at a situation from God's perspective. And so as we begin to look at the situation from God's pers- perspective, uh, I, I read uh, verses 9 and 10 that actually reflect, you know, on what true wisdom is. Because he says, yeah, the brother... In humble circumstances, ought to take pride in his high, ought not to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. And that's confusing. But one thing is certain that trials might come across our path to humble us. And what does that word humble mean? Tapinos. It means to be flat on the ground that only Jesus Christ in you sticks out. And folk, trials might come because we're full of ourselves and God wants to humble us. God wants to humble us. He wants to bring us down. He wants to uh, allow us to, to only be dependent on Him. 
And so do we see ourselves from God's perspective? Or are we just doing our own thing uh, and we will uh, conquer on our own, which we know we won't. And so he says over and over again, addresses this issue of pride. And if there's too much pride, God can force us to submit for our own good, not for his good, for our own good. And that's really important. And as we begin to see that, we begin to see uh, things from God's perspective. We begin to submit to him. In other words, to be humble and dependent on him. I never thought I could do it, but to be able to go down on bended knee and actually say, God, I need you. Oh, I need you. God, I tried this on my own. I've come to the end of my tether, God. I cannot anymore. Please help me. That's what God wants. That's what God wants. A good place to be. That's wisdom, I suggest to you. Can any good come out of tough times? Well, God calls us blessed when we humble ourselves. Blessed. In fact, that word blessed, makarios, means to be happy and well off from a spiritual perspective. I know, as you can see, Tim Tams make me happy. It makes me full. And I know what you're thinking, and I agree with you. But talking about blessed, Makarios, from a spiritual perspective, to be happy and well off, because I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds my future. His name is Jesus. And if I go through difficulties, and folk, I don't like preaching about this, because God puts me through it. So it's only about joy from now on. As you go through it, you know that you know that you know that God has not abandoned you and that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And attacks will come from all sides. But God is with us in the midst of it. He says, listen, when you've gone through this, you'll be able to stand. And as you stand, you'll look back and you will receive the crown and you'll be called blessed, blessed, happy and well off. And he'll be able to take you and hold you in the light. And as he turns you around, he'll be able to say, Dokimos, approved. Not adokimos, unapproved. Break him some more and put him back in the fire. No, approved. He had that ipomoni, that perseverance, to stand strong during the trials and temptations, during the difficulties. And so I want to suggest to you that getting bitter or better in tough times is up to you and up to me. It's up to you and up to me. Because God wants us to come out on top. You know why? Because he is at work in our trials. He's at work in our trials. And if we trust him, we'll see that he is at work. And we'll begin to see that he's not trying to break us, but he's trying to perhaps humble us and purify us so he can approve of us. And so how we respond is going to make a big difference. How we respond is going to make a big difference. You know the story about the refiner's fire. Let me read it to you again. Some time ago, a few ladies met in a certain city to read the scriptures 
and make them the subject of conversation. While reading the third chapter of Malachi, they came upon a remarkable expression in the third verse. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Malachi chapter 3 verse 3. Let me read that verse to you again. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. One lady's opinion was that it was intended to convey the view of the sanctifying influence of the grace of Christ. Then she proposed to visit a silversmith and report to them what he said on the subject. She went accordingly and without telling the object, object of her errand, begged to know the process of refining silver, which he fully described to her. But sir, she said, do you sit while the work of refining is going on? Oh yes, ma'am, replied the silversmith. I must sit with my eye steadily fixed on the furnace, for if the time necessary for refining be exceeded, in the slightest degree the silver will be injured. In other words, if he burns it too much, it will destroy that silver. The lady at once saw the beauty and comfort too of that expression. He shall sit as a refiner and purify silver. Christ sees it needful to put his children into a furnace. His children, every single one of us sitting here this morning, he wants to refine us. Scary stuff, you might say. But it doesn't end there, folk. Because he's with us. His eye is steadily intent on the work of purifying, and his wisdom and love are both engaged in the best manner for them. Their trials do not come at random. The very hairs of your head are all numbered, Jesus told the disciples. As the lady was leaving the shop, the silversmith called her back and said he had still further to something further to mention and that he only knows when the process of purifying was complete by seeing his own image reflected in the silver. Too much heat burns it. Not enough heat won't purify it. Watching it all the time with his eye on it is what is necessary. How does that silversmith know when it's ready when he can see his image in the silver. Beautiful example, when Christ shall see his own image in his people, his work of purifying will be accomplished. I don't know about you, but God wants to be with us during difficulties. He has been with us he promised never to leave us nor forsake us, and he will continue to be with us. I want to share a verse with you as you begin to open your communion little glass. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. And Peter addresses the issue of, of doing good in the midst of suffering. And he explains to them that, uh, you know, we, we must be careful not to do the bad things when, when we go through hard times. And we must turn from evil and pursue peace. And then in verse 12 he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. 
For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And folk, it's not just kind of the eyes. That word there is the Greek word ophthalmos, where we get the English word ophthalmologist. Somebody who examines your eyes. And so it's, it's to see your vision. Because you can look at something and fall asleep. But here, this word means that God's eyes is on each and every one of us. He's on, his eyes are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so there might be some people in your life that are doing evil against you. God will sort them out. But right now, right now, God's eye is on you and you and you and you and you and me. His eye is on us and he knows exactly what we are going through. And he will bring us out on top. He will bring us out on top. I might not be able to see it or feel it right now, but there is a guarantee that will bring us out on top. Where does that guarantee come from? Through the blood of Jesus on the cross. And Jesus shared that with his, with his disciples. That on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he said, this is my body given for you. He gave it for you and for me so we could be reconciled back to him into one body. So as the body is, the bread is broken, he brings us back to himself. It had to be broken so we could be reconciled to him. So we thank God for his body. Let's eat together. After he'd given thanks for the bread, he took the cup cup that represents his blood that was shed for you and for me. That now that we've been reconciled to him and become one with him and one with one another, doesn't mean we'll never go through trials and temptations or ever sin, but we can come to him every moment of the day and confess our sins and he forgives us. We're thankful for the blood of Jesus and what he did on the cross of Calvary for us. Let's drink together in Jesus' name. Before we sing our final song, I'd love us all to stand and just read these words out. Whether you're not going through a hard time or you are going through a hard, hard time, if you're not going through a hard time now, we'll pray that you do go through it. No. Um, <laughs> but there's a guarantee that you will go through a hard time because Jesus actually uh, said that. And this is about, in the midst of that, to turn our eyes upon Jesus. You know the song, let's just read it together. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of his glory and grace. Let's sing it together without music. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. And of his glory and grace. Our Father, we thank you for your glory which is your presence. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, that there is that guarantee that even in the midst of difficulties, you are with us. Thank you, Lord, that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that you are with us every moment of the day. Help us, Lord. Give us the strength to overcome even in the midst of it so we can look back, Lord, and say, God has been with us. To God be the praise, honor, and glory. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.